and welcome again to another episode of Sig Daddy's Wrestling Show. I'm your host, Sig Daddy, and today it's the week in review, covering Raw, AEW, Dynamite, and SmackDown. I'll give you a rundown and kind of my take on everything that happened during the show, and then at the end of the show, I will give you the rankings for the week. So, the best show, obviously, will be ranked number one, number two, and three. You get the point. You get the idea. Uh, Before I get started on this, uh, there's a couple of bits, pieces of news I wanted to cover before the show officially kicks off the week in review. And it's uh, the quarter one uh, investors uh, call from Vince McMahon, some of the comments he made on that call. And it was, he was asked about how the raw ratings are suffering at this point. One of the things he said, though, kind of grinded my gears a little bit, just a little bit. But uh, part of the reason why raw is suffering was not because necessarily because of the new environment, but because of uh, new talent and trying to get them over. That, that makes sense. But he also mentioned in this Brock Lesnar being gone. Brock Lesnar's gone a lot. Brock Lesnar's hardly ever there. He's not the reason why the ratings are down. We're in the middle of a pandemic, which is part of the reason. Pro wrestling shows are very... Pro wrestling shows are very reliant on the crowds, and fans are having a hard time maybe getting into that without fans. I've enjoyed some of the stuff. I've enjoyed a lot of the stuff. But some people, maybe the casual viewer, can't get into stuff, get get into the pro wrestling if there's no crowd, which I completely understand. But saying Brock Lesnar is the reason why the ratings are down, part of the reason why the ratings are down, it ain't right. That's not even remotely close. Brock Lesnar is not the draw that he used to be. I remember reading from someone, somewhere, something on Twitter that Brock's appearance on the one of the, I think the final Raw before WrestleMania drew a terrible rating. And that was the last segment of the show. So don't tell me he's a ratings draw. He's a ratings bump for like a week or two, but then after that, Things come back down to earth. That just didn't make sense to me, but I get the part of the I get the new talent getting over part. That makes sense. But the Brock Lesnar part, uh-uh. uh Another piece of news. Yesterday on SmackDown, they celebrated Triple H's 25th anniversary of being in WWE, and uh, Taz. He got fi- uh, he fired off on a fan on Twitter because of a uh, the ranking system for AEW and Cody is currently number one and it's he found it kind of the fan kind of found it ridiculous and he's being involved in, he's involved in the TNT title tournament he's just saying Cody's in the forefront of everything all the time and people would lose their minds if Triple H was booking himself at the top of WWE's ladder at this point and putting himself in tournaments. But Taz, he fired back and he said that uh, Triple H has been on top of the WWE's invisible ranking system for almost 12 years, for around 15 years actually. And... He says that Cody actually puts over talent and doesn't crush people behind their backs. And that's a quote directly from Taz. Puts over talent and doesn't crush people behind their backs. So Taz, he hasn't had a good experience with Triple H, obviously. I don't know the backstory. I know it probably has to do with the time where Triple H took on Taz in 2000 and Taz lost to him. And then Taz really never recovered from it. And then Triple H has rumored backstage history of kind of uh, politicking and uh, Triple H does have a history 
or a rumored history of backstage politics. And it does help that he is married to the boss's daughter. But if you notice over the last couple of years, Taz's comments are warranted in a way because back in that time, Triple H may have done sort of those things behind people's backs. Who knows? But as as time has went along, Triple H has put plenty of people over, including Roman Reigns, uh, Seth Rollins, uh, Ronda Rousey, actually, in a way. Ronda Rousey, uh, Batista from back in the day, back in 2005, he put him over. Uh, who else? Plenty of other guys he's putting over. Daniel Bryan he put over back in the day. Uh, back in 2014. So he's put plenty of people over. And if you look at his WrestleMania track record, he's putting a lot of people over. So while Taz's comments are in a way correct, possibly, they're kind of dated. Because Triple H has been putting people over in the last couple of years, in the last probably decade or so. He's been putting plenty of guys over. So, it's kind of hard to pick sides on that. But let's get this week in review started. The week in review will start off with Monday Night Raw. And it's Drew McIntyre out to start. And he's talking how he's got a big target on his back. And a lot of people saying on social media that Seth doesn't deserve a title shot, which I do kind of find a little bit odd since he lost at WrestleMania to Kevin Owens. But this is what typically what WWE typically does for some reason or another. I don't understand. I don't completely get it, but it's fine. We got a villain taking on Drew McIntyre in the first feud out of Wrestle on his first feud outside of WrestleMania, his WrestleMania win against Brock Lesnar. And he lays down a challenge to Seth at Money in the Bank. Zelina and company show up. And pretty much this sets up a match later in the night with Angel Garza. And it's Angel Garza versus Drew McIntyre. And actually, Andrade jumps Drew from behind. But uh, Andrade gets claymored. Zelina tries to get him back in the ring, get uh, Theory and Garza in the ring. He's like, nope. They're like, nope, and then Andrade gets claymored outside of the ring once again, and this ends up setting up a match later on in the night. And the first match of the night was a Money in the Bank qualifier between Aleister Black and Austin Theory, and I thought this was a pretty solid match, and I thought Theory looked really good in defeating this match, and I think this match got the job done I thought this accomplished what it needed to be accomplished. I thought this could have used a little bit more time. And Austin Theory's sell, I gotta say, of the Black Mass and at the end of this match, it was pretty dang good. And uh, Aleister Black becomes the second person to qualify for Money in the Bank. First one was Daniel Bryan. And I I thought this was a good match. Both people looked good. And with time, Theory will get an opportunity like this, but Black's been building momentum over the last few months, and it's going to be cool to see him in this Money in the Bank ladder match coming up in just a few weeks. Then we get Charlie with Shayna right after she starts her entrance, and then Shayna says she didn't take her, well, she didn't take it too far last week, and she didn't break any rules, and she just broke Sarah's arm. I like that. Woman of few words. And she's coming back with a vengeance. She's on a mission. And she ends up in the next match against Indy Hartwell from NXT. Uh, breaks her arm probably too. She ends up doing the same arm stomp late in the match. It's quick. And then the ref stops the match. And after the match, Shayna continues the beatdown. Grabs a ladder. Whips Hartwell's head into it. Into the barricade throws her into the ladder, and then wedges Hartwell's arm in the ladder and kicks the ladder, dishing out even more damage. 
And I'm liking this. Shayna's looking like an absolute beast, laying out people left and right week after week. Hopefully this continues up until Money in the Bank. Then we get Ricochet and Cedric Alexander versus Shane Thorne and Brendan Vink. And this ends up being a uh, rebound match for Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. And nice combo move by Alexander and uh, Ricochet to get the win. It's a recoil by Ricochet and then a lumbar check. Like it was a recoil right into a lumbar check by Cedric Alexander. Really cool finish. I'm really liking this pairing between Rick with Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. Both high flyers. Very fast-paced stuff from those two. And I think this tag team works. Hopefully, hopefully in the future, the near future, they get a tag team title shot because they are way too talented to not be in title contention. They are really looking very good as a tag team. I don't think they've hardly ever teamed. I haven't looked up their history in other promotions, but man, for a team that's kind of been just thrown together, they look very, very good. And maybe this is the way WWE utilizes them moving forward which I'm fine with. I like them both in singles action, though. I really do. But this is a good way to get them uh, involved in storylines on Raw and just get them involved in some kind of title contention. But I thought that was this was an effective match, giving them a rebound win after a really good showing against the Viking Raiders last week. Then we get Kyrie and Asuka with Charlie, and it's a, they're talking about a rematch with uh, between Kyrie and Nia Jax and I wasn't looking forward to this rematch. I really, really wasn't because I didn't think it was necessary. And we get Nia Jax versus uh, Kyrie Sane again. I didn't want to see that again. I don't think anyone wanted to see it again. And we ended up getting it again. But, uh, before that, we get Lashley with Lana, and it's they're, demonstra- they're going to demonstrate how to flip a tire. And Lana talks about everyone being so jealous of them, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And it turns out, it seems like, and rumor and speculation going around is that WWE is keeping this couple together. Sp- especially after Rusev just left. Please, just split them up. Please, for the love of, that, love of all that's good and human or whatever, split those two. It's not doing anything for either of them. It's been a horrible storyline from the start, and yet they still keep it together. I don't know. But after that, we get Kyrie Sane versus Nia Jax. At one point, Nia Jax has like the double choke slam thing and you hear Kyrie saying I'm not ready and Nia throws her and she ends up hitting the bottom turnbuckle and it looked like it was meant to be in the middle turnbuckle but Nia messed it up and misjudged the distance and she does have quite a bit of history when it comes to botching moves and she's almost injured Charlotte twice in one match and she injured Bailey once, and she ha- and she concussed Zelina Vega. She has a lot of hist. She has some bad history when it comes to injuring people. Of course, the Becky Lynch famous punch. We wouldn't have gotten the Becky Lynch possibly if it wasn't for that punch. But uh, she was already she Becky Lynch already had a bunch of momentum coming into that. That was just an iconic image that they got out of that. But Nia Jax. She does have a bit of history hurting people. I wasn't a big fan. I thought it looked dangerous once she did that. But Nia Jax ends up winning. And Kyrie Sane worked the knee for a little bit here. but uh, And Kyrie went up for an insane elbow at the end. But Jax moved. Kyrie charged and then got caught and hit with a Samoan drop. And Nia wins in the rematch. And Kyrie's contract might be running out. It sounded like their her contract was getting ready to end here pretty soon. So Kyrie Sane on her way out of WWE possibly. 
So that might have been a way to write her off. But Nia Jax winning, giving her some momentum heading towards Money in the Bank. Wasn't a fan of it. Didn't think it was necessary. Didn't think the rematch was needed. And we almost got Kyrie, almost got Kyrie saying hurt, especially with her concussion issues. It didn't look good. All right. Seth Rollins then responds to Drew's challenge, but he, he accepts Drew's challenge out of necessity. He's sitting at home on a two-seated chair, and say he says that WWE needs the WWE Universe needs a leader now more than ever, and he says Drew's not a proper leader, and they have some similarities, like they were fighting champions, and it kind of ends there, and... He says he'll take the title, not because he wants to, but because he has to. And it was a really good promo from Seth Rollins. I definitely checked that out on YouTube. Should be up on WWE's YouTube, but it is very good uh, video from uh, Seth Rollins, a pre-taped video. And and he also addressed that they went in the main event of WrestleMania and beat Brock Lesnar. But yeah, they're not not a lot of similarities. But uh, but yeah, a very good promo from Seth Rollins. After that, we got the Viking Raiders and a carpool karaoke thing, and that was awful. That was absolutely positively awful. And they were singing some Viking Raiders chant, and they made them look like complete dorks. Complete dorks. They're supposed to be the this group of badasses, and it didn't make them look like it. I I get they're trying to show a little more of a softer side there, but really, up until this point, they've been built as these killers, and now it's going to be hard to take them seriously for the rest of time. For the rest of time. And they're the number one contenders for the tag team championship, so we got two teams that are not taking things seriously with the Street Profits and Viking Raiders. Great. Then we get Apollo Crews versus Money in the Bank versus MVP in a Money in the Bank qualifier. And I thought this was a pretty, pretty good match, actually. Very good match from MVP. His best showing, in my opinion, since he has uh, returned to WWE. And uh, and Apollo Cruz he wins with a spin out power bomb. He actually kicked out of the playmaker, but very it was a good match for MVP. His best since his return to WWE. And Apollo Cruz entering the Money in the Bank ladder match is nice. He's finally getting an opportunity to do to do something pretty big. And a nice for MVP to put Apollo Crews over in that situation. He's done a good job of doing that since he's returned. And then backstage, Ruby Wright gets asked how Riot Squad went from tight to undivided. And he, she pretty much says there was never a, a Riot Squad. And she had to get surgery because she carried both Sarah Logan and... Liv Morgan, and now Sarah has a broken arm, and she's going to show how lonely and weak Liv is without her, and make them, and she's going to show how lonely and weak Liv is without her, I didn't like this, I personally didn't like this, you know why, because they completely dropped this a few weeks ago. They completely dropped it after Elimination Chamber. But now they just bring it up now out of necessity. I I don't get it. I do not get it. Sarah Logan's now gone from the company, possibly. And you bring it back. Bring this Riot Squad feud back up now, of all times. Why didn't you do that heading towards WrestleMania? I don't understand. We get the Ruby Riot Liv Morgan match. And it was pretty solid for what it was with the time given. But, like I said, why stop the feud? I hate that they stopped the feud like a month ago and just, oh, restart it cold turkey out of nowhere. That's the problem. You can't just 
stop things and just restart it out of the blue. But I gotta say, Liv Morgan looked really good here. Ruby Riot's dangerously underrated. And the flatliner finish where Liv ran into the ropes. It was Ruby running. Ruby ran into the ropes. Liv met her there. She hit her flatliner. That was a pretty cool finish. And Liv has improved a lot since her return to WWE and kind of her character reboot. reboot. She's looked pretty good in the ring. Pretty solid in the ring. And it was solid for what it was. I just don't agree with them bringing stuff back up cold turkey. Then we get the back to Lashley with the tire. Lashley, well, Lana calls Lashley hot. Lashley says it takes an elite athlete to flip this tire. He gets it, and then it's an even bigger tire, which is like 400 pounds. And my comments on this were, oh, I'm so excited for this. Not. What was the whole point of this tire segment other than to fill time? I don't care about a tire flip. I don't care. And we're keeping this Lana Lashley couple together, which is absolutely stupid. You tease it and then, oh, just go back and quit on it. Again. Why? Why? Why you start something and you don't finish it and you just go back to what the status quo was? It's the same thing with the Ruby Riot Liv Morgan thing. You start building, you're starting to tease this breakup, and then all of a sudden, oh, we're going to restart it again. We're just going to keep the relationship going like normal. And then the Liv Morgan Ruby Riot thing. You kind of tease stuff at Elimination Chamber. Actually, we don't really get a tease of that in Elimination Chamber. But the build towards Elimination Chamber, you were teasing that a bit. But then after that, you stop it, and then you start it back up, start the feud back up, cold turkey. That's the problem. That's the problem, restarting stuff, cold turkey, or just going back to the status quo. After that, we get Rey Mysterio versus Buddy Murphy in a Money in the Bank qualifier match. And this was a very, very, very good match. Really good TV match between Rey Mysterio and Buddy Murphy. And late in the match, Rey goes for a superplex. Murphy fights him off, hits a sunset flip. Ray grabs the ropes. Murphy goes for the super kick. Mysterio blocks it, hits a destroyer, and then Murphy's prone on the ropes. Ray hits a 619 frog splash. That gets it done. And I, my comments were, awesome match. It ruled. But the one thing I disagreed with on it, I thought Murphy needed to win here, but that's a little gripe. That's a little gripe. Because the match was really, really good. And Murphy will get his opportunity here sometime soon. Hopefully. But really, really good match. Easily, easily, easily the best thing on the show so far. Then we get Zelina Vega with Angel Garza. And he's going to give Drew a lesson about reality. And... Then he flirts with Charlie at the end. He says, I love to ask you to ask me how it felt to defeat Drew. And then Charlie's giving him those eyes. So we're, this is leading to something between Angel and Charlie probably here sometime in the future. Who knows? Who knows? We get NXT champion Charlotte Flair versus Caden Carter after that. Carter got some offense in. Actually, she got an octopus. Uh, I think it was called the Iron Octopus in on Charlotte. And Charlotte at the end puts in the figure four and then figure eight and then holds on to it after the bell for a moment. And Charlotte gives her, gives her a round of applause, gives Carter a round of applause. I thought Carter looked good in this match. Charlotte gets a win. I get what they're doing here with Charlotte by having her appear on Raw and NXT because, well, she's beating NXT competitors on Raw. It gets the NXT title exposure on Raw and could bring new fans to NXT. But it would just be nice to see Charlotte do this exclusively on NXT instead of here on Raw. 
because her matches on Raw have no effect on what's going on on NXT, really. And really has nothing to do with what's going on on NXT. And really, we're already getting enough of Charlotte on one show, and having her on two shows is, I think, overexposing her. But that's just my opinion on that. And then we get back to Lashley. Whoop-dee-doo! 450-pound tire, and he's not sure if he's going to be able to do it. But if anybody can do it, it's Lashley. Lashley tries it twice, doesn't get it, slaps himself in the face to get himself hyped up. Gets him the third, gets it the third time long, I compliments him, and that's the strength to expect from Lashley. And this had literally no point. Other than to fill time. The biggest waste of time on Monday Night Raw was this tire flipping segment. And that's all I'll say about that. Another match follows Andrade with Zelina Vega versus Akira Tozawa. And I thought Tozawa looked really good here, but he's gotta be he's gonna be in the cruiserweight tournament coming up. And one thing I liked about this also was Andrade selling the offense from earlier in the night. He ate two claymores from Drew. And Andrade, at the end of the match, stopped the big senton attempt. And he hit the hammerlock DDT from the top rope like he's been doing the last week or so. And it really showed Andrade got a little lucky. Because Andrade didn't get a whole lot of offense in this match until the end of it. But uh, Tozawa looked good. Andrade gets a win. Picks up some momentum. And then the Street Profits interrupt Zelina's, Zelina and Andrade's celebration. And they dance with Byron before they go to commercial. I was like, okay. And then they introduce Bianca to the ring, the Street Profits. And boy, this commentary on this match was awful. It was literally distracting for the entire entirety of this match between Bianca Belair and Santana Garrett. Bianca looked really good. Bianca looked good. She looks like a beast. This is She's definitely a main roster talent. But I thought this needed to be a bit shorter. I And also, I love the Street Profits. I love the Street Profits. But man, they were extremely annoying on commentary. Even Jerry Lawler had to comment on it during the match. And they <laughs> calm him down at least a little bit. But uh, Bianca Belair wins with the KOD, the Kiss of Death. But man, the Street Profits were annoying on this match. Very annoying on commentary. I love them, talented as can be, but don't put them on commentary, please. Then we get Angel Garza with Andrade, Zelina, and Theory ringside against WWE champion Drew McIntyre. And... uh, Late in the match... Drew just beats up everybody. Drew literally beats up everybody. Uh, Drew hits a tope con Hilo on Andrade Garza and Theory late in the match. He throws Andrade over the barricade, hits a Claymore on Theory, back in the ring, reverse Alabama slam attempt, gets reversed into a roll-through pin by Garza. Then a missed clothesline by Drew. They both run off the ropes. Claymore by Drew, and that's it. Drew ran through everybody to be beat. This is how you build him to be strong, though. He is looks like an unbeatable champion, the likes of Brock Lesnar, but we get to see this week after week, which is nice, because we actually get to see the champion on TV now. Go WWE for putting the title on Drew McIntyre. Yay! Uh, Drew, after the match... Gives Angel another Claymore, and he does the uh, Shawn Michaels championship pose like he did in Playgirl magazine back in the day. Oh my gosh. He sent that on Twitter, then he added Shawn Michaels on it. That was hilarious. And Drew tells Zelina, keep bringing them, and I'll Claymore them down. They, that, that imitate he, Well, the imitation of the Andrade pose looked like the Shawn Michaels pose from the Playgirl magazine back in the day. And uh, very dominant showing by Drew here. I like it. And I thought this was really good to close the show this match was. But overall, the last week, the week week before's episode of Raw was much better. Too much filler on this. A lot of random stuff like the Riot Squad feud just getting restarted back up. 
the, the Lashley's tire flip and Charlotte Flair being on Monday Night Raw, and I couldn't stand uh, Street Profits commentary on the Bianca Belair match. But I, I did enjoy this. The Rey Mysterio uh, Buddy Murphy match was excellent. Very, very good match between those two. And I also enjoyed the Drew McIntyre Angel Garza match at the end of the night. I thought those two things were very good. But other than that, this was kind of a. But uh, other than that, this was really a skippable show. Then on Wednesday night, it was Wednesday night, Dynamite, AEW, Dynamite. And we start out the show with Cody in a control room, kind of describing all the remaining participants and who am I in this situation. And Arn Anderson, is he plays a bit of audio with Arn Anderson saying Cody needs to be a champion. And Cody's kind of questioning himself in this and... Talks about the 32 years of wrestling on the Turner Network. And AEW critics will move a goalpost. And less than a year, they've added another championship. And he talks, he kind of hypes everyone up and saying all these guys can be champion. And I thought this was a really well put together video package. I thought Cody did very well to put over the other guys on this uh, video video, uh, package. Very good way to start the show. And then we get Jericho and Schiavone, Shivani on commentary. Again, we get Darby Allen versus Sammy Guevara in a quarterfinal match in the TNT Championship Tournament. And Darby ends up winning this match with his uh, last supper pinning combination. And I liked the psychology involved in this match. The footwork done by Darby Allen on Sammy Guevara. At one time, he rips off the boot and sock of Sammy Guevara and he works that foot and it kind of affected Sammy the rest of the match. Sammy late in the match hits a 630 from the top rope and doesn't get it all. And Darby gets his hand on the rope before the three count and Darby hits a flipping stunner. Guevara then catches Darby in a torture rack position, flips him over and goes for the big knee but Darby counters that into the pin combo that gets it done for him. He moves on to the semifinals to take on the American Nightmare Cody, which I thought they were going to go in a different different direction. I thought they were going to go Guevara versus Cody in the semifinals, but maybe they're teasing something with Guevara and Jericho in the inner circle. Who knows? But I thought this had match had good psychology and Darby winning gives us Darby versus Cody part three in the semifinal of the TNT Championship Tournament. Then we get Matt Hardy, and I thought this was pretty cool. And the only person, he addresses the only person that said a word after last week when when Matt laid out a challenge for Jericho was Sammy Guevara. And he kind of lays out a challenge to Sammy Guevara. And he, his uh, entity, Damascus, is says Jericho was trembling in fear. And then that Jericho didn't mention his name because he doesn't know how to control his broken brilliance. And he suggests that he might want to speak to another entity, the regular Matt Hardy. And he talks about how Jericho was mad because Matt was with the Elite when he debuted in AEW. And he talks about how AEW is the platform for the future. And Matt's going to protect that concept. And he's going to kick everyone's ass in the inner circle until he gets to Jericho. And I really liked that they they did that transition between Broken Matt and regular Matt Hardy and kind of going back and back and well not back and forth but they went from Damascus to Damascus slash broken Matt Hardy to regular Matt Hardy I thought that was very well done setting up a match with Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara probably another cinematic type match at the Hardy compound we get Kenny Omega versus Alan Angels and 
This was kind of extended squash match. Angels got quite a bit of offense in it in this match, but uh, Kenny wins with a uh, gut wrench power bomb followed by a second V trigger, and I thought it was fine. Some people on Twitter didn't really like it because it seemed like they were thinking this Angels guy was on the level of Kenny Omega. It was kind of harmless to me. And I, I, I get where people are coming from on it, but it was kind of harmless. It's not going to mean anything in the scheme of things moving forward. Kenny gets a win here, and he gets he finally appears on TV again. And I thought the Angels looked pretty good in that match. He made Angels look really good. Now, after that, we get the exclusive look at Scorpio Sky, kind of his story and talking about how he always wanted to be a pro wrestler. And he didn't have a specific moment he wanted to do it, but he's just wanted to do it his entire life. He's always wanted to do it. And he talks about how back in 08 and 09, he had a lower back injury and somehow it magically recovered. He woke up and by some miracle, it was not feeling, he didn't feel that much pain. And he talks about almost giving up and getting his last opportunity. And he talks about, very, very briefly how he joined SCU back in late 2017, and then we get the to-be-continued thing. I thought this was nice, because it gives us a little more insight on Scorpio Sky and how he got to this point in his career. I enjoyed it. I thought that I'd do some more stuff like that during this time, and actually all the time. It helps us get a, get us give us a reason to get behind these characters in uh, AEW and pro, pro wrestling period. Then we get a video with Cody listening to Dustin's voicemail proclaiming it will be it would be his final match if he doesn't beat Kip Sabian in his tournament match tonight. And then before commercial, we get a preview of episode 200 of Being the Elite. I personally watched it. I thought it was very entertaining. Fun stuff there. I'd recommend you go out and watch it if you like the Bucks and uh, Being the Elite. I thought it was fun. Following the commercial break, we got Jimmy Havoc versus Orange Cassidy with best friends at ringside. And late in the match, Havoc goes for an acid rainmaker. Cassidy ducks and hits his Superman punch. Penelope Ford then stands up on the apron. Chuck pokes her and... tries to pull her legs out from underneath her, and Penelope lands into a split. Sabian shows up, tope con hello on Chuck Taylor, and Penelope then misses with the Hurricane Rana attempt, and a crucifix pin by Cassidy gets it done. Cassidy showed some great fire during this match, and Sabian and then Havoc show up after, not show up after the bell, but Sabian and Havoc after the bell beat down uh, Cassidy for a moment. Best friends make the save. I thought this wasn't bad. Pack and Cassidy, in my opinion, was much better, but you can't really compare the two. But best friends versus Havoc and Sabian will happen next week. Let me get MJF talking about his injury. And it's actually like a gambling accident where he bro- suffered a hangnail. And he talked how his injury became life-threatening. And he will rise again like a phoenix and become the AEW world champion for his MJFFs. And MJF, very, very good. Very brief promo by him, but I enjoyed it. And it's from his estate in Massachusetts or whatever. I thought this was very good. Very heelish. (laughs) Talking about how he hurt his, he had a hangnail from gambling. I thought that was pretty funny. After that, we get Lee Johnson versus Wardlow. And Wardlow just pretty much destroys him. And Wardlow hits his spinning F5 to get a win. It was what it needed to be. Really nasty and brutal. And Wardlow looked like a complete beast during this match. And honestly, this made me think. After the match, I'd love to see Wardlow versus Lance Archer in a match. That would be a fantastic Haas battle. Between those two. Following the Wardlow match, we got Brody Lee. Another video, and it's 
some guy with a voicemail set from a girl saying it isn't working out, and it's a former Heisman hopeful, and he had a career-ending injury, and then a guy fills out the join us section of the Dark Order website. Brody Lee meets with him, and he understands where he's coming from, and he tells him his height and weight, and he's talking about how others didn't work for their success in AEW. They were handed it. They were handed it, and he heard from Evil Uno that this guy Vance is a hard worker, and how people are afraid of success here. And Brody Lee offers him success, power, and strength with the Dark Order mask, the uh, Creeper mask, and how they feed on the prey, and tells him, "You are one of us now." And I thought this was a nice break from the usual Brody Lee kind of dictator type stuff. And he's he cares. It shows that he cares at least a little bit about these people. And not just some perfectionist expecting perfect from all of his guys and punishing them. I thought this was a nice little break from that. And I, I enjoyed this segment with Brody Lee. I've enjoyed. I enjoyed pretty much everything on this AEW show. I think there's still a little too many squash matches, but I'll cover that later on. We get Justin Law versus Brody Lee next. Brody Lee destroys him. I want to see an actual match where it's a competitive match between Brody Lee and stuff. Brody Lee and whoever he's he's facing, and Brody Lee wins that match with a discus lariat. Stares Marco down for a second post-match. Marco kind of puffs himself up. And we're going to get Marco Stunt versus Brody Lee next week. We found that out later on in the show. And we get an interview with the best friends and Orange Cassidy. And it was very, it was awkward. But I, I got what they were trying to accomplish there. It's going to yeah, it was best friends and Havoc. Best friends versus Havoc and Sabian next week. And we're going to get Cody versus Darby in the semifinals of the TNT Championship Tournament the following week. We get the Bubbly Bunch, and Sammy's feeling super down because uh, Jake lost last week. And it ends up going to the Flim Flam. And whoever wins this gets a bottle of hand sanitizer, and Sammy was reluctant at first, but he's like, hand sanitizer, I'm in. And then everyone does the Flim Flam. And Sammy does some of his crazy dance moves, a backflip, and hits a handstand and a spin at the end of it. Santana and Ortiz approve it, but Jericho didn't like it. He feels like Sammy was showing off and tells him to enjoy his hand sanitizer. I thought this was, this was very entertaining, getting to show a little bit of the personality of the inner circle. Some funny stuff there. I, I think this did, I know, I know. What about the Viking Raiders segment? The Viking Raiders are built like these badasses. I get that Hager... Hager's not... Well, Hager is a badass. I did. That's one part I didn't like, was Hager doing the dancing and stuff in this segment. But it's supposed to be... It's the idea of the bubbly bunch. But, yeah, I get it. Hager... I don't agree with Hager doing all that comedy-type stuff on this similar to what the Viking Raiders did on Raw. But the other guys, it's fine, because you see some comedy stuff from Santana and Ortiz during matches and Guevara and Jericho during matches. So I thought this was good fun here for the most part. Then we get a... Well, we get told that Moxley will appear next week on Dynamite. After that, a video hyping Dustin versus Kip Sabian. It's Kip Sabian with Penelope Ford versus Dustin with Brandy Rose in a quarterfinal match for in the TNT title tournament. And late in the match, ref has to pull Sabian off of Dustin and Dustin's knee. There's some knee work going on during this match by Kip Sabian. Penelope gets on the apron. Brandy pulls her off. They're in the ring now. Brandy hits a spear on Penelope. Kip's checking on Penelope. And while he's distracted, he gets hit with a destroyer. And now Dustin is in the semifinal of the TNT Championship Tournament. And I like that the destroyer was actually used as a finishing move. Because back in the day when Petey Williams used it in TNA Impact Wrestling, it was a finishing move. And it was devastating. 
But uh, I thought that was nice. I thought this wasn't a bad match. Some good psychology in it. And it was nice to see Brandy even the odds ringside because Penelope had been getting away with stuff a lot the last few weeks. And it was good to finally see her get her comeuppance, which was, I thought this was a good match to close the show. And Dustin, he moves on to take on Lance Archer in the semifinals. His career uh, continues at least for a moment. And overall for this episode of Dynamite, I thought this was a better episode of Dynamite this week. Definitely an upgrade. Uh, a little bit better match-wise than last week. Still, I thought there was a couple of squash matches that were unnecessary. Well, at least the Brody Lee one. But uh, I don't, and I really don't know how much longer I can do with these squash matches. Week after week, week after week, it gets old after a while and repetitive. And with that being said, though, the pre-taped stuff on this show was fantastic. With the Bubbly Bunch, Brody Lee, Scorpio Sky, Matt Hardy, and especially the intro for the show with Cody, they were all very, very good. And I thought the TNT title uh, tournament matches were both pretty solid matches, pretty good matches for the show. We close out the week with Friday Night SmackDown, the now eight-time tag team champions start the show and it was a bunch of everybody interrupting everybody which it started with the lucha house party interrupting and then the forgotten sons interrupting and then it was miz and morris actually it was miz and morrison interrupting second and then it was the forgotten sons interrupting third and this ends up being a brawl cutler Riker, and wesley they all beat down the new day during this, and Miz and Morrison get away, and Forgotten Sons hit the their finisher on the New Day, and they could be a threat to the tag titles here sooner rather than later, which I don't mind fresh, com- uh, fresh uh, competition, uh, fresh uh, number one contenders for the tag titles. Post-commercial break, it's the beginning of Triple H's career back in 1995, it's all this show is building up to the end of the show where Triple H will appear. And we get Miz and Morrison backstage with Renee Young, who we haven't seen backstage at a WWE show in quite some time. And she asked them about the Forgotten Sons, but they brushed that away and talk about the Lucha House Party. And they, they're going to say if Lucha House Party was the problem, they're going to solve it tonight. After that, we get Drew Gulak with Daniel Bryan versus King Corbin in a Money in the Bank qualifier match. And this went like I expected. Yeah, I definitely expected some shenanigans late in the match, and that's what we got, because Nakamura and Cesaro attacked Brian from behind, Gulak made the save, Corbin blindsides him, throws him into the post, back in the ring, end of days by Corbin, whoopty freaking do, okay, it was okay. After the match, Corbin hits Gulak with the scepter, and Cesaro and Nakamura, that's why Cesaro and Nakamura were holding on to his arms. And you got your first heel in the money in the bank. That's what it, that's what that accomplished. That's it. And like I, I I've I don't know if I've been vocal about this, but I've been over Corbin's act for quite a while now. Just let him go under the radar for a while. At least go away for a while. Revamp the character because this King character is not working for me. It's corny. It's really dumb. And. You just need to make Corbin look like a beast. I don't I don't necessarily like him in the limelight, but he is he's a good heel. He's a very good heel. But yeah, they need to revamp his character, do something, because this King gimmick he's been saddled with isn't working, and he hasn't been in a good storyline in quite a while. Then they address the Gronk's return to the NFL and they play up the fact that Gronk could get pinned after a touchdown in the NFL game. whoop do you do And we get a highlights from a Money in the Bank qualifier, not qualifier, 2014 Money in the Bank ladder match where Kofi backdrops Rollins on a ladder bridge trying to sell the pain and suffering these guys go through during these Money in the Bank ladder matches kind of get us hyped up for the pay-per-view coming up in a few weeks. Then we get Sheamus versus some NXT guy whose name I didn't catch. And this match was over before you knew it. And 
Sheamus wins it with a brogue kick, and then we get the transition into part three of the Jeff Hardy story. And Cole, after the Jeff Hardy video, which is the redemption, Sheamus is still there. And Cole addresses the issues that Sheamus has had with Jeff Hardy. And like I said, Sheamus was standing there right behind him, very, very angry. I didn't mind that. And then they show the... This is building up to Jeff Hardy versus Sheamus. So it's a new feud coming up here sometime soon. I wonder when... Once this uh, Jeff Hardy saga chapter story thing gets finished, we'll probably finally get to see Jeff Hardy versus Sheamus. DX Invasion, shown as a part of the Triple H 25th anniversary celebration. And then next was the John Morrison and Miz versus Lince Dorado and Grand Metalik. And to a lot of people's surprise, Grand Metalik and Lince Dorado win the match. This is a pretty good high-flying team. I don't think it's up to the level of Cedric Alexander and Ricochet, but still... A pretty good team, and it gives us some fresh tag teams in contention for the SmackDown tag titles. And it looked like Miz kind of slipped on the banana peel because Miz got the full Nelson late in the match, and Grand Metalik rolled through for a pin. And like I said, Lucha House Party defeated the former SmackDown tag champs. And I liked that Lucha House Party got a win there. But it might be a fluky one that Miz and Morrison uh, avenge next week, but at least for the time being, I thought that was an alright match. And it was a nice surprise seeing Lucha House Party win. And SmackDown's tag division really needs depth right now. Some new teams, some fresh teams in contention for the tag team championships. After that, we get Bailey, not Bailey, but Sasha Banks with Bailey versus Lacey Evans in a Money in the Bank qualifier match. And uh, Banks comes out holding a stick with Lacey's daughter on it. And late in the match. Lacey hits a woman's right, and Bailey puts Sasha's foot on the ropes. And Lacey is angry, attacks Bailey, ref breaks it up. But while the ref is distracted, Sasha has a roll-up for what seems to be 20 seconds. And when the ref finally gets back, she only gets a one count, and Lacey kicks out. Sasha, she's angry, she's mad at Bailey, and Sasha turns around into another woman's right. And that gets it done for her. Lacey is now in the Money in the Bank ladder match, the Women's Money in the Bank ladder match. And another surprise here was we thought Sasha was going to get the Money in the Bank briefcase and then cash it in, cash it in eventually on Bailey. But this is a slow burn. They're going to get to this Sasha and Bailey feud here sometime soon, hopefully, because I'm really looking forward to it. I think they've done a pretty good job in building it so far. And the fallout continues for the best friends. After the match, Bailey and Sasha are on the ramp. Tamina shows up, hits a super kick on Bailey. Then we get a video recapping Braun and Bray's history. I thought it was very well put together, that was. And then we see Mandy and Sonya, their confrontation from last week. And we find out that Otis and Dolph Ziggler will be taking on each other in a Money in the Bank qualifier next week. Mandy Rose versus Carmella in a Money in the Bank qualifier next week also. So there's going to be some shenanigans going on around those matches. We definitely know that. Then we get an interview with Dana, not interview, but Dana Brooke and Carmella are interacting backstage. And she addresses what Carmella said to her last week regarding the Money in the Bank qualifier. She had last week before the Tag Team Championship match this week. And the one that Carmella has coming up next week. I thought that was a nice little playoff of what they did previously. And after the commercial, they show Triple H's first torn quad in 2001 and his epic return to MSG eight months later, which was certainly an epic one. And Triple H, like I guess I've told you on the previous episode, which you can find in the archives, Sig Daddy's Wrestling Show. He's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Dana Brooke and Carmella versus Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross for the SmackDown Women, not SmackDown Women's Tag Team Championships, but for the Women's Tag Team Championships. This was very short. Didn't get a lot of time to really flourish, but Bliss and 
cross retain after a uh, flapjack DDT combo, which was, I think, pretty nice. And it was okay. Nothing really special on that. Then we get King Corbin. We get, well, King Corbin versus Daniel Bryan gets announced for next week. And then we got Triple H out to celebrate his 25th anniversary. And this was kind of a roast of Triple H. And this went on for the last, what, half hour of the show or so. And Sean comes out, interrupts Triple H before he even gets talking. Talks about how he's still a draw. And they talk about their friendship. He talks about how Sean... Sean's talks about Sean's 25th anniversary show, which never happened. He, he's trying to get Triple H to tell him what his favorite moments were from it. And I thought that was... There were some funny interactions on here. And he talked about Sean hypes up his WrestleMania moments and matches. And Sean calls himself Mr. WrestleMania, but it pales in comparison to what Triple H has done at WrestleMania. But it shows Triple H's... All, all of Triple H's losses. And I thought that was pretty funny. And he also talks about their DX stuff where they were money and everything was a first take thing. And they then they show bloopers from DX and they were definitely not one take wonders. And a little bit later, he Sean throws jabs at Stephanie McMahon and how Stephanie puts a wrench in things. And actually Triple H gets a FaceTime from Stephanie mid-promo and she's not happy with what Sean's saying on there. And he mentions Ric Flair from Evolution, and Flair FaceTimes Triple H, and then Flair tells Triple H before the end of the FaceTime called a "Don't let Sean super kick you" at the end of this segment. And then we get Road Dog FaceTiming Triple H post commercial, and Triple H tells Sean after commercial break that they can go as long as they want. He because they talked to the executives at Fox and. Sean's like, we haven't even gotten to the Katie Vick segment yet, which I'm like, whoa, 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 dark, dark, dark. And then Vince actually shows up, calls this segment with Triple H boring, compares it to the gobbledygooker, Katie Vick, and the Bailey This Is Your Life segment, which he said, crickets, and it wasn't Bailey's fault, which led to a hilarious uh, tweet by Bailey, and it's saying, it was not my fault, like uh, Gene Snitsky or whatever. (laughs) It was a pretty good tweet by Bailey. But uh, tells him that Triple H and HBK's performance here sucked, and they call him Padre. And then Vince turns the lights out on him because he wanted tri- he wanted Triple H to wrap it up on this 25th anniversary. Triple H gets the lights turned out on him, and this was certainly something. I thought this was pretty much a roast of Triple H, which was pretty fun because he has a history of roasting everybody, and I thought. At one time, this was leading to HBK feuding with Triple H again because it seemed like HBK was about to super kick or super kick him or something, or because he was talking a lot of trash about Triple H during this. But it ended up being kind of just a roast segment, and I thought Vince coming out was a nice touch, and I I found this to be kind of odd. But as time has went along and the days passed by, I kind of grown to appreciate it. But uh, overall, this SmackDown. Thought it was a decent show, some good wrestling on it. The Sasha Banks and Lacey Evans match I thought was a very good one. The John Morrison Miz match with Lindsay Dorado and Grand Metalik, I thought that was also a solid one. And we got some story building with Sheamus and Jeff Hardy going on. And uh, we got some possibly new tag team uh, championship contenders in the Forgotten Sons. But I thought in the Triple H 25th anniversary celebration... That was very, very fun. I thought this was an alright episode of SmackDown. I thought it was a bit better than Monday Night Raw. and uh, But yeah, the wrestling, the best match of the week, in all honesty, was Rey Mysterio versus Buddy Murphy. The uh, Of the, all three shows I watched this week, it was definitely Rey Mysterio versus Buddy Murphy was the best match of the week. But let's get to this. Let's get to the rankings. The best show of the week is AEW Dynamite. The wrestling was okay. So too, a couple too many squash matches, but the couple of squash matches accomplished what they needed to accomplish. And But the really, what made AEW Dynamite a great show this week was the t- title tournament matches. The two title tournament matches I thought were pretty dang good. 
And then the all the video segments, like I said earlier on, with Cody, Brody, Lee, Scorpio, Sky, Matt Hardy, the Bubbly Bunch, all that stuff was fantastic this week, I thought. Raw, the Bobby Lashley stuff, the Nia Jax stuff, the certainly a lot of stuff on Monday Night Raw. I did enjoy the Street Profits on commentary, and I don't know. There's a lot of stuff I didn't like on Raw, but uh, and the Charlotte stuff, didn't really enjoy that either. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go with that. And then the restarting of uh, storylines like with Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot. I didn't make that make any sense. And the Bobby Lashley flipping tire thing really put the icing on the cake for me this week. SmackDown didn't have anything really dumb on it. Raw they had a couple of things really, really dumb on it. But they had the best match of the week. But they're going to get third this week on the ranking. So number one, AEW Dynamite. Number two, Friday Night SmackDown. And then number three for this week, Monday Night Raw. They were number one last week. They dropped back down to number three this week. I hope you enjoyed the weekend review for this week. I'll have another weekend review episode coming up next Saturday. And uh, for the time being, make sure to follow me on the socials, Facebook, Twitter, at SigDaddyWrestle. Also just added myself on Instagram. It's SigDaddy.Wrestle. And if you haven't already, make sure to follow me, subscribe to my podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the iHeartRadio app, Sig Daddy's Wrestling Show. But until next time, this is Sig Daddy signing off. Stay safe out there. Thank you for listening, and so long, everybody.